Um, and so the hero really is the one in these organizations that can take a step back and say, I'm going to be a little bit more measured. I'm going to think a little bit broader, more long-term, more sustainable before I come back with a solution. Maybe there are times where it really is incredibly time sensitive. Maybe there are times where it really is really very critical that we drop everything and do it right now. And, you know, collateral damage be damned, but so very, very rare. So very rare. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, there we go. Now we're going. So what's going on? Trying to figure out what the weather is going to be, so... I, I kind of wanted to uh, do another outside recording today, but last time I got sunburned <laughs> and my <laughs> my computer started overheating, so I need to work on my setup. But the weather's been weird. Yesterday, uh, it was chilly in the valley, but we had some considerable snow in the mountains mm-hmm. uh, last day of May. That's, that's a little crazy. So I'm trying to figure out if it's spring or what's happening here. Yeah, we didn't have much of a spring. It went from winter to less winterish rainy weather to mm. now like 90 some degrees and humidity Oof. not a fan. I, I, I don't know i i don't know if the east coast and it, it is i mean and maybe it's just psychological i i did not enjoy like the maybe not northeast but more central southeast coast um humidity i, I found completely unbearable but the southern california humidity i found incredibly intoxicating i really enjoyed it so i don't know i don't know what the difference is between the two i mean i've only been out to california a couple times but i think i kind of get the idea like yeah the humidity here like when there's like not a cloud in the sky and it's humid it's it's brutal Mm, yeah it's probably the heat right because when i'm talking humidity in california i was it was like 68 70 oh, yeah, degrees it's the combination of the two yeah it's the it's the, it's the 98 degrees and 80 percent humidity that's like yeah this is not gonna work yeah um so we joined the local swim club for this year and we signed the little guy up for swim lessons so um so we got that going on so yeah looking forward to spending time at the pool awesome you'll have to take your ipad set up and uh i will do some brainstorming and documenting yeah, no, like I, I plan on it Friday afternoons. I uh, go over, take the iPad, and you know, be there doing some work from uh, right next to the pool. Nice. Sounds like a good summer. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, um, so as, as far as our actual topic for for today, um, I want to to start to to wrap up the topic we've had uh, the past few weeks um, around data activation. So, um, you know, in previous episodes, we've defined what it means to activate data. You know, what are some of the key things to have in place for a successful foundation? But today, I want to look at the other side of that, or what are some of the common pitfalls? Mm-hmm. What have you seen 
clients so many you, like mistakes <laughs> make and like what what what, have, what kind of issues have you seen with clients when they've tried to jump on to the the data activation train <clears throat> excuse me um yeah so many i'm trying to figure out where to start. i'm going to start with something recent um and i'm going to use a personal story um to talk about that has nothing to do with data analytics. Well, it has nothing to do with kind of the analytics that, that we do. Um, but I think really helps to illustrate a point, especially when it comes to one of the major challenges that I've seen in, in business when it comes to activating the data. But one that I don't know that we have a good solution for, at least it's something that we're not actively talking about. So so here's the personal story first to to lead into that. Recently, my mom and sister, and I don't know how scientific these things are and how uh, the validity of them, but my mom and sister did their uh, DNA profile uh, analysis through like, you know, Ancestry or one like a 23andMe kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, both of theirs came back predictably very similar. Um, however, the origins um, came back in misalignment with the narrative that we've long told ourselves. Um, for both of them? For both one, of them. No, both oh, of okay. them. Okay. So it yeah. wasn't like a flaw in just... Yeah, no, they both were, again, very similar and matching, but the, the family origins were not exactly aligned with the narrative that we had we had told ourselves as a family, which then kind of informed like kind of the, the culture and things that we celebrated and food that we ate. Um, and so it was, it was very eye opening. Um, and it wasn't like something drastic. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, we thought we were of Scottish origin and it came back that we were of Japanese origin, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, but we had long told ourselves and there was kind of this narrative within the family that we have Northern Italian roots. And, and that really informed a lot of our, you know, views on how we viewed the world and things. Um, the, the DNA profile came back and said, actually, there's very little Northern Italian um, influence in your DNA profile. Um, and in fact, it's almost exclusively Sicilian. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, which was kind of, you know, and sure, people migrate and move from one part of the country to another. But, it, you know, it was a fairly stark contrast to what we had long believed. Um, and again, I don't know how valid these are, but it was, you know, similar between my mom and my sister. Um, so I got thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, there's an interesting parallel here to, to business as we collect the data, you know, as we collect the DNA and we do our analysis, what happens when we start to activate that data and we start seeing something in the data that is in direct contrast to the narratives that we've told in the business for, for so long that have become part of our lore. And that has become, I think, a major challenge that we've seen in companies as we start to activate data. And we, you know, we hear this story, we hear, we hear what they're asking, you know, we want to be data informed, we want to use data to better understand our consumer. And I remember back very, very early on to a large retailer that we worked with that actually had defined their personas and hung up, um, pictures or paintings in the offices of their persona customers. You know, this is homemaker, you know, Sue or something. And she likes to do X, Y, and Z. 
And we did a very thorough investigation analysis and came back and said, yeah, but actually there's these other personas that we don't see anywhere on your, in your hallways that seems to be a very strong buyer. And they rejected it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like the story we've told ourselves is like, these are, this is our, our, our buyers. Like, and so that's, you know, to, to answer your question, it's one of the major challenges that we've seen is that when we start to activate the data and that data tells a different story than we've told for the past decade of who we are, what do we do? And oftentimes we've seen it create a lot of angst where we say, wait a minute, our whole model, everything we do is wrapped around this story that now you're saying may not be complete or maybe slightly different. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I've seen that multiple times too. Like I immediately think of a, a fashion retailer I worked with, um, God, 10 years ago or so. And like their, their advertising reflected who they saw their persona to, you know, who they were marketing to. This is who this, this is our customer. And then as we started to look at the data, the data, I'm like, no, that, that, I'm seeing this. And we're like, well, we kind of know, but this is who we want to think our customer. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to your question, like some, what are the major pitfalls? I mean, that is a huge, huge pitfall because when, when that doesn't align with the narrative and the stories that we've told ourselves, what do we do with that information? And oftentimes we, we reject it. And if we don't just outright reject it, what does it do? Well, it causes us, and oftentimes it's the data that bears the brunt of this attack, we lose confidence in because it doesn't align with the way that we thought about things. And so, you know, we could have just spent half a million, a million dollars to stand up an analytics practice. We're now ready to activate the data. The data tells a slightly different story. And now all of a sudden that entire investment is in question because we're like, I don't know if the, I don't know if the implementation is right. And sure, by all means, we need to question it. We need to test, like, is it right? Ask more questions. But it's it's a major risk factor when those stories don't align when we start to to activate uh, the data. Um, an, another major pitfall that we see in so many organizations is um, the desire, well, not the desire to under-deliver, but oftentimes the desire to over-deliver comes with, Overpromising comes with underdelivering, and what I mean by that is that you know once you start to collect this data, um, it's it's really difficult to 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 slow down and say we need to take a maybe pun intended measured approach here to how we think about our our analytics practice. Um, and what ends up happening is you have the proverbial kid in a giant candy factory that says. You know, think about, uh, you know, Willy Wonka when they first go into the chocolate room and was it Augustus that dives into the chocolate river? You know, that's kind of what's happening in these companies. They get led into this amazing room where everything's edible and then and they can't contain themselves. They're like stuffing their face with food and trying to. And, and that's what happens in these organizations is they're unable to unable to think about a way to consume all of this amazingness in a sustainable way. And what ends up happening is these organizations in an attempt to activate the data go from 
just trying to get basic dashboarding. So directionally, are we going to, you know, are, is the car going in the right direction to instantly going from that to, well, we need to buy all this audience data and CDPs and complex models and then activate this. I'm like, guys, like you literally just barely learned how to crawl. Like, let's slow it down a little bit. But again, it's this like over exuberance of a child, you know, think of your analogy, Christmas Day, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where they simply are unable to control their uh, urge and emotions to have all the things right now. And most of the times, 99 times out of 100, that ends in very negative experiences. Yeah, like we're actually working with a client right now um, on that and trying to help temper expectations. You know, we found some some interesting tidbits, but we also found some serious flaws in just the data alone. Um, so there's the, there's a balancing act there of, you know, the what we can't learn from the data and what we are able to learn. But yeah, like really making sure that we're double checking what we've learned because they definitely flies in the face of of what they've, you know, I'm going to continue to use, you know, your wording of, you know, the stories they've told themselves internally, what they've told themselves as far as measures of success, measures of engagement, why people come and use their platform, all of those kinds of things. So um, it's definitely because then you quickly get involved in the politics of it. You definitely get involved in corporate politics when you start to tell a different story than what people have been, you know, come to be used to. Yeah. And that's where I think having, um, an incredibly strong leadership becomes very, very important because if not, then you create all of this potential infighting and almost like civil war battles between organizations and having strong executive leadership for your, your data function is so critically, critically important. I, I think I shared on a previous podcast, the story of when I was working client side um, and I was reporting up through the marketing organization. And I still remember it very clearly to this day where I presented in insights from a, a fairly large marketing campaign that we ran that didn't align with the narrative that the marketing team was was sharing with our our c-suite and uh that did not go over well um my my boss and my boss's boss were incredibly unhappy with me for 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 doing that because my again you know my my story that or my insight that i was presenting was not in alignment with the narrative that that they were crafting and so if we don't have the right structure in place, if we don't have the right um, kind of leadership in place to position this as, you know, something scientific and independent that we're doing, then what we become or the risk that we may become is a propaganda organization. And and that, I think, is a very scary thing to, to do. And if I remember back, Man, many, many years ago, the DAA came out with this, what are the, what was it called? The Code of Ethics uh, for Analysts, where, you know, this, this kind of independent scientific state is our view. And if we're using data in an unethical way, if we're using it for propaganda, we're violating our, our ethics and our oath as analysts. But man, when, when you don't have that leadership in place to set that expectation, it, it very easily goes down that slippery slope of becoming an organization once you start activating the data to be one that is 
science-based and reason-based and we're doing it to learn, um, that may be the goal, but you very quickly fall down this hill where all of a sudden you now are a propaganda organization to support marketing, to support whatever organization you're rolling up through. And you're, you're changing the narrative, the numbers, the way you view things in order to align with that story that we're telling. And that's dangerous, I think. Yeah. Do you remember that project years ago where we found a major data collection issue? worked with the client to fix it. And upon fixing it, the numbers got worse. So they were reporting bad numbers that showed th certain things in a positive light. And um, upon fixing it, and the data, the numbers were more accurate, things weren't as positive. And they came back and asked us to re-break it. Do I remember that? Hold on, I'll, 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 in the private chat. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not gonna mention it here. Okay. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> you remember that one now? I remember. That's just to rebreak things. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, like this implementation that you set up that was like incredibly clean and and very good data. Yeah, it doesn't align with our forecasts and numbers that we published the last two years. Can you break the implementation so things align again? <laughs> what? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Thank yeah. you for reminding me of that. I had totally, <laughs> I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't, and I don't think I will. Like, that is, like, one of those things, like, one of those projects that's just always going to stick with me mm -hmm. because it was just, it was just a, you know, it was it's just a reaffirmation that there are people out there that, you know, aren't, don't want to be honest. Like, they, 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 the minute something doesn't go their way, like, oh, no, 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 no. What you say is correct has to be wrong. There, and there's actually a spectrum on this, which I think is worth worth talking about as we're talking about data activation on the extreme unethical things we shouldn't be doing. And there's that example that you shared in private chat where it was, a, by the way, can you break things so our numbers align with this worldview that we have, which we know are wrong, but we have to have that, you know, that's one problem. There's another problem on the other side of that spectrum. And we've we've worked with some very sick companies to help cure them of this where it wasn't, it was their aim wasn't to be unethical or misrepresent. Um, but things had been broken for so long that it became comfortable for them to have things broken. And when we come in and start to clean things up, it creates a lot of anxiety and fear. And then they start saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. We're like, no, this is right. It was wrong before. Yeah, and I mean, we understand that, but like we're so used to that. Can you alter the data in such a way that it aligns with that just because we're comfortable with it? And again, I don't think they're coming at it on that extreme from a ethics perspective. It's just they're so comfortable with things being broken that it's it's hard to go back to the way things are. I, I imagine there's probably parallels with like injuries or something like you know, maybe if you've suffered like a knee injury or something and you develop a certain way of walking and then you get it fixed, but you can't, you know, that's probably why you have physical therapy, right? To like train those bad habits out that you had that you dealt with that injury. It's like, okay, well, we fixed it. You had surgery and you're all better now. Why are you still doing that way? I don't know. Like, I'm just comfortable doing that. That, that was my dad. So my mm -hmm. dad is like, uh, as like in his early 20s playing sports, blew out one of his knees. And like, th this is going back to the 
seventies and the, the, the default surgery was to go in and remove the damaged cartilage, not mm-hmm. fix it, remove it. So by the time he was in his late thirties, early forties, his, his left knee was just bone on bone. Ooh. So when I was like 12, he had a partial knee replacement there to fix it. But again, like that has a usable life and he, you know, like that, that started to wear down and he was just trying to get to retirement to have a full double replacement because he wanted to, he didn't want to be working after having that, like for the, cause he didn't want to have it done and then wear it down working because he was standing all day. Um, so he let his left knee that had the partial replacement get so bad that he was compensating with his right knee mm. at, at over favoring that and then wore that one down. Yeah. Um, so then when he did, that was part of the physical therapy after he had both knees replaced was to stop walking with that limp or stop favoring the right leg. He, he basically had to relearn how to walk. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 such a strong example. I'm sorry you had to go through that um, of what we see in these businesses that they've overcompensated with their other leg again, that it becomes so comfortable for them that it may feel comfortable. But what they don't realize is they're actually doing damage to the healthy parts of the organization. And so, you know, I think it's it's really important as we start to activate data to think about these pitfalls, because if we don't, it's very easy to fall into them. You know, it's it's no. It, it shouldn't be a shock that these things happen in so many organizations. The fact that, you know, they're so predictable and happening tells us that these things are very common. And if, if we're not thinking about it, if we're not developing a plan and a strategy for how to address it, then we're not special. You know, we're, we're not going to avoid it just because we're special. Um, we're going to probably fall into some of these traps because so many organizations do. So again, thinking about these things, recognizing that they happen and being very deliberate and putting in a plan, putting a plan in place to address them uh, won't give you an insurance policy that you won't fall into any traps, but you're going to be in a much better position than otherwise. Another thing that I think is important to call out from a data activation trap perspective Uh, is one of resourcing. Um, And what I mean by that is that um, once you show new capabilities or new insights or learnings to the organization that they've never had before, and you've done it in a way that is is right and it, it, it excites people, what tends to happen? That excitement builds on itself and now all of a sudden your organization is completely overloaded with requests for more and more data activation. And so if you're not prepared to put some kind of model in place to govern how that works, we've seen it happen. If you, and not to put you on the spot, but if you are not deliberate in designing how your analytics team operates, what would you say is the is the de facto organic way of responding to requests if you haven't put a strategy in place? Um, I mean, the, the, the first one that I've seen happen a lot is, is people don't think they just, they, they just go in and just build something. 
So they yeah. don't, they, they, they just build something and send it out to say they got the request out. They don't actually think through what they're building, nor do they have anybody review it with them to say like, is this accurate? And, you know, poke holes in, in this for me. Um, they just, they just send out data and there's also no commentary involved. So it leaves it wide open for interpretation. I, I mean, I think that's spot on. And, and the reason why that is happening is because when we don't have a strategy for how we're going to activate data and then we become overrun with requests, our, our de facto state is to be responsive, to be a first responder, to be the emergency room tech. Um, it's, it's the last in first out mentality. And while that may work when you're treating uh, a trauma or an acute situation, because it's like, look, we can't focus on the bigger picture. We literally have to stop this person from bleeding all their blood out. So that is our A1 priority. That makes sense in that situation. But we aren't working in emergency rooms. We're not working at natural disasters. We're working within a business where we have time to step back and be more analytical and measured in our approach for how we come at these things. And so one of the traps is to become that first responder, that always on responding to emergencies. It's a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for providing poor insights. And to your point, it's not sustainable. And the reason it's not sustainable, because in emergency, as I mentioned, you have to block out everything else and focus on the most critical task. What that means is you're saying there are other things that are bad that are happening, but because this one thing is life or death, we have to ignore that. This, we're not dealing with life and death stuff here. So we need to take the bigger picture in play and not just rush to put something in place to address this request, but how does this fit in with the larger ecosystem? How does this fit in with the larger data that we have in place? Is, our, is the solution we're putting in place, whether it's an analysis or a dashboard or what have you, is it sustainable or are we building some little one-off thing that we're adding to the Jenga pile? Um, we should take a much more slowed, measured approach to how we're thinking about this from a resourcing and a governance perspective, because if we don't, the trap of data activation is we turn into the emergency room. Yeah. We're not emergency room technicians, and we're all going to fail in that model. Yeah, um, I'm laughing because when you mentioned the the Jenga pile, um, I could think of this meme. I forget who posted it, so I apologize if you know to whomever it was. But it was something along the lines of, you know, someone deleted a load-bearing Excel spreadsheet today. How's your <laughs> Friday going? You know, and it just, it gives you this great visual. Yeah. Yeah, because we've all been there. Someone goes in and deletes something that they think is not of value. And it is like this nexus for like a million other different things. So all of a sudden, all these other things start to fail. It's exactly right. And I, you know, I, I covered last week for a client that was out on vacation um, and I was meeting with one of their agencies and they had a request to do something. And I said, you know, it may feel like the immediate next step is to jump in and do this right now. And it may sound simple, but I know from experience that there's a lot of dependencies and things connected with this one thing you want me to do. I'm going to wait three days until, you know, the client comes back in the office and strategize with them because I can foresee pulling out that one load bearing piece here and everything crumbling. And this is not that time sensitive. 
You know, we don't need to be the hero all the time. And in fact, sometimes and often, I would say, being the hero is being, again, more measured and taking a step back and saying, I don't need to put on the cape and go put out this fire or solve this crime right now. You know, the, the, more, the more measured approach really is the hero that businesses need. Because right now they have a bunch of firefighters. And yeah, we need firefighters, but we're not fighting fires in this role. Um, and so the hero really is the one in these organizations that can take a step back and say, I'm going to be a little bit more measured. I'm going to think a little bit broader, more long-term, more sustainable before I come back with a solution. Maybe there are times where it really is incredibly time sensitive. Maybe there are times where it really is really very critical that we drop everything and do it right now. And, you know, collateral damage be damned, but so very, very rare. So very rare. And I like to think that that's the role that hopefully we're playing for our, our partners. And hopefully we're helping train and mentor those that we're working with that this really is a better way of working. If nothing else, then for the long-term health and sustainability of the employee. Because people working in this kind of mentality, it's absolutely a recipe for burnout. So if nothing else, be selfish, you know, that... For your long-term benefit, this isn't a good way to, to work, but a positive for your business is going to be, it's also going to create a more sustainable, valuable data activation practice as well. So it's it really is that proverbial win-win. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So I think those are my, my major points. If I had to go, I'm not going to rank them, but just to go back and highlight them, um, you know, what happens when the narrative or what happens when the data starts showing a different um, narrative than what the story we've told ourselves, what are we going to do? We should be prepared to, to be able to answer that and address the challenges that that, that brings up. Um, we talked about this last point of, of sustainability and getting out of this first responder firefighter mentality that that does not beg that does not put us in a good position to to build um, analytics organizations that are activating data in a in a healthy sustainable uh, way we talked we talked about this kind of uh, kid in the candy store mentality where once you start showing that there's all this goodness to be had, how do you control yourself and not overconsume and binge? Again, we, we need to be thinking long-term, how do we sustain this? And if we just try to just gobble it all up right now, we're going to be sick and bloated and we're not going to want to go back to that anytime soon. So, you know, there's some very, very real challenges here. And I think really, you know, part of the key takeaway here is, is in being deliberate. I mean, it's something that we've been doing I hate the term. We're going to have to come up with a, another term. And we, we often mock the uh, corporatisms internally. Um, but the term of eat your own, eat, eat your own dog food, you know, the things that we're advising companies to do, I mean, we're doing right. It's not like we're just telling people how to do it. The things that we're advising companies to do, we're doing as we're thinking about strategically how we build and run 33.6. So all of these things aren't like best practices or book knowledge. You know, these are things that we're absolutely doing in our own business to make our own business operate better. And being deliberate, being focused on the long term, thinking about sustainable practices are core tenants to how we're building the business. And it only makes sense that those inform how we think about and provide services to our clients. And whether you're a client of ours or not, 
These are things that we absolutely believe without a doubt will make your organization, your employees happier and and more successful. And again, it comes down to being deliberate and thinking about sustainability and long-term results over being reactionary and everything's about today. That that model simply is unsustainable over mm-hmm. a long over a long-term period. Yeah. Um so if there was one concrete thing someone could do today. So you were talking about like being deliberate, being intentional, um, um, that, that kind of mindset and not being the firefighter. Yeah. You know, if someone is finding that they are not in that state of mind or they're, they're, they're not in the deliberate state of mind, they're in that firefighter emergency response state of mind. What's one thing someone could do today to start to shift that mindset? Well, I think the first thing to do is to recognize it. So if if you're recognizing it and you're you're kind of taking note of of that is how you're operating, the very first thing that you should do is start asking the question of how much autonomy, how much authority do I have to change that landscape? Because if if you're not in a position to influence that or work with a boss or an executive to help influence that, I think it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to affect any kind of change. And the fact that you're recognizing it and wanting to change is going to end up being a exercise in frustration and futility because, you know, you know what you want to do, but you're unable to get it done within your organization. So I think that's the first thing. Recognize that it's an issue, recognize that it's something that you want to change, and then be truthful in answering the question, is this something within my role, within my organization, within my management structure that I have the trust, autonomy, and authority to influence? If the answer is no, I would say go get another job. If the answer is yes, then that should be one of your top priorities starting today is one, how do we stop the bleeding? You know, yeah. How do we, you know, we're in that firefighter emergency room scenario how do we stop the bleeding and put an end to this and then how do we transition the business both from a tactical and from a strategic positioning perspective to see us not as first responders but as strategic experts and guides and be willing for us to set the timeline and agenda that we know has everyone's best interest in mind and while you may not see a flurry of activity and may not have your request turned around every 24 hours, you are going to be getting a fundamentally better, more informed, more valuable product from our team than otherwise. Make that your priority to happen. But again, ask yourself the question. If you can't influence it, and I don't want to be flippant and saying it, but really, you should go find another job. I mean, I, I think that, that that that's spot on. And honestly, I've got no 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 follow up to that, so I'm just going to let that one. I think stick. a thirty I think a thirty minute runtime is maybe a good I yeah. Kind of turned around with it. It kind of felt like we reached a natural progression around that thirty minute mark. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So um, I don't want to take away anything from that. So let's go ahead and wrap up here for this week. Sounds good. It's been it's been a great chat and. Yep. And, and the one thing is we've been talking, the one theme I've I've noticed when we've talked about data activation, I bet people were waiting for is, is like, what tools should I use? What, um, 
what things should I have my developers do? What should I talk to my architects about? We didn't touch on any of that. No. All of that, it's it's corporate mindset, individual mindset, um, approach has nothing to do with the tools. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, I, I will leave it with this. I think that is one one pitfall. Now, not to, again, not to take away <laughs> what you said, but you actually made me think of one thing. One pitfall too is, is people focus on the tools. I need this vendor. I need that vendor. They feature, they, they, they focus on features and functionality and they don't have the right, the right mindset in place. Couldn't agree more. Cool. I mean, those things are important. Yeah. But they're secondary or tertiary. They shouldn't, yes. they shouldn't be leading the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. cool. So right, we will wrap up there for this week. Yeah, definitely a fun conversation. And we will talk to everyone later. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.